my name is Daniel Gardner. You should know exactly what we do by now. We've been doing it for approximately a billion years. This is Which Car Weekly, the podcast that talks about mostly irrelevant car subjects, but hopefully in an entertaining manner. And to do that, uh, and most effectively do that, I'm joined by two of my favourite people in the world, Scott Newman, Associate Editor of Motor Magazine, and Andy Enright, Deputy Editor of Wheels Magazine. Gentlemen. Hello there. Bonjour. You just put your cats out, Andy. Good. Yes. Yeah, they're annoying me. One of them just um, put a claw on my testicles, which wasn't <laughs> really what I was after. It's not a, that's not a euphemism in any way, shape or form. He didn't put his cats out as a euphemism and the rest wasn't a euphemism either. Yes, you'll now have to rename yourself Claude Balls. Uh, yes, <laughs> yeah, if, you hear, if you hear a scratching at the door, that's what they're trying to do, kind of in savage my genitalia. <laughs> they're only human. <laughs> And that's the way we'll continue. Start as, yeah, start as you mean to go on, I think they say. Um, well, let's waste no time uh, other than that time that Andy just wasted talking about his bollocks and get straight on <laughs> with the first subject, which is... <laughs> um, the Queen is dead. Long live the Queen. We've known for a while that there will be no HSV, Holden Special Vehicles. Um, but what we didn't really know is what that future would look like beyond the exit of Holden. We now, after a pretty badly kept secret, have had full confirmation that uh, General Motors will be renaming it GMSV, which if you uh, are the thinking type, that stands for General Motors Special Vehicles. Not the most imaginative name, uh, but gentlemen, what does it mean? Do we, I mean, I, I don't know where to start with this, I want to think it's good news because it means that the great work that the people at HSV, now GMSV, are, are going to continue doing. Um, but let's paint the broader picture. Andy, paint away. <laughs> um, well, it, it raises all sorts of questions, doesn't it, this one? Um, aside from the, the sort of issue that some of the dealers have around phoenixing, like a company disappearing and then magically reappearing under a different guise. Um, I think the question that most people want answered is, you know, where where am I going to be able to buy these vehicles? Uh, HSV going to continue. Um, as far as I know, GMSV will approach existing HSV dealers and ask them to see if they want to be a GMSV dealer, which I think they will, um, with a new network in place by quarter four of this year. Um, but the HSV dealers have apparently been told that they've got to return all deposits that they've taken on Corvette C8. So, oh, really? Interesting. Weird, isn't it? Um, I don't know if, if the punters who've stumped up the money for a, a deposit and think they're in a certain place in the queue have uh, suddenly gone to the back of the queue or not. Um, and it won't, won't please many dealers having to give back money. Like, you know, they, they, they take deposits for a reason, both to, you know both to project a customer's place in line, but also because it's a handy bit of cash to have around. So if they've yeah. got to give it back, they've probably already spent it. That's the one True. thing, the one thing that could potentially smooth the transition and skim over any seams, awkward joints, like terrible body gaps on old English classic cars between the transition between HSV and GMSV. It's the only thing was those deposits to carry over and say, phew, at least we've got customers here that we can hold on to because we've got their cash. And now they just said, give it all back. That makes no bloody sense whatsoever. Yeah, it's uh, cutting, cutting the cord a little bit, isn't it, in that regard? Yes. It's a bit 
strange one because, I mean, it depends, I suppose. It'll be interesting to see how many HSV dealers had sort of cut ties from Holden anyway. Probably not too many, I would have thought. So presumably all of them have been, you know, you know, it's not speaking out of school to say they're all pretty burnt, like GM did what it needed to do. And, you know, it's a big corporation, but the dealers weren't probably looked after particularly kindly. Um, well, that's but, what we've been hearing. Yeah, but will the, will the promise of presumably a pretty healthy margin on a Silverado and a sexy sports car in the Corvette, will that be enough to lure them back? Or will a lot of them say, stuff yeah, I suppose we'll, uh, we'll see. I presume, I think, I think enough, will, enough will snap up the opportunity that there will be a big enough GMSV dealer network to suit their purposes because we're not talking high volume here anymore, that's for sure. That's for certain. Well, that was going to be my next question. I mean, you'd assume that anyone who's even considering a GMSV um, franchise would have to have a fairly sizable dealership network or franchise, multi-franchise um, showroom as it is because you're not going to sustain a bricks and mortar um, investment with just one brand, GMSV. I mean, they're doing all right, but they're not selling that many. You would have to be going to pretty... Um, lucrative dealerships and franchisees already, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think so. Because yeah, I think so. Because I mean, presumably, quite a few of those HSV dealers. Like to me, it goes back to the you know the old HSV days. The HSV occupied you know a small corner, one twentieth of the floor space or something of a larger Holden dealer, which was you know which was fine. And presumably, there's quite a few of them that have rebranded Chevrolet, obviously, in the transition. to Camaro products, Camaro and Silverado. So depending on how good the communication, I suppose, has been between GMSV and its dealers, then some dealers will probably, you know, continue more or less unchanged because they've already got Silverado sitting in there. They'll clear out a space for probably one Corvette. If if they're lucky, they might get a Corvette to put on the floor. If not, they'll just go straight to customers and then, yeah, onwards and upwards. But it's interesting, isn't it, to see that, in terms of blowback from customers, Ford and Toyota have come out of this relatively unscathed, haven't they, compared to Holden? There's, there's a lot of ill will towards GM. That's what's, always, um, that's what's always amazed me is that, you know, come, when Ford basically shut down and Toyota, I don't think, you know, I don't think the man on the street necessarily knew Toyotas were built here, even though they did so quite successfully with the Camrys and the export program. Um, it was certainly Ford and Holden that had the, the tribal the tribal following. Um, and when Ford went under, I mean, you would, Holden was still, relatively speaking, flying. Like you would have, I would have bet the little money I have um, that Holden would come out of this shining. And then certainly the fact that if Holden didn't go under, like HSV, HSV seems stuffed. Like back in the day when Holden announced they were leaving, you're like, well, what, what's HSV going to do? Yet, ironically, they've almost come out of this like the Stephen Bradford and they've come out of it better than anyone, which is good management. Well done to Ryan. Absolutely. Who would have ever thought that they would be looking so good? You know, new premises, a blossoming lineup. Um, They've nailed the market. They saw exactly what people were going to be wanting to buy. You know, oh, look at at Australia. They're, they're, They're buying one ton nukes. Well, that's a, a logical progression if they've gone from s- small car-based, relatively small car-based utes into bigger utes, 
well, let's look down the line. They want even bigger units. Well, let's do Ram and Silverado. And, you know, I mean, it was just, it just goes to show how different the mind was behind the tiller at both Holden and HSV. Chalk and chicken pox. Like, and it's been absolutely fascinating to see it roll out. And to that end, then where do they go next? I mean, they've got a pretty, pretty diverse portfolio um, as it is. They've got capacity in the system um, in their Victorian conversion slash re-engineering facilities. Mm. What do they do next? What, are, what or any ideas? Have we got any sort of uh, word mm. on the grapevine or any maybe kind hot, of pie? maybe hot Cadillacs? That would be good. Well, that, that's a, that would yeah. that's smart money. Yeah, yeah. That would slot in very, Black very wings? nicely. You'd think Blackwings would. would slot in very, very nicely to the existing uh, portfolio and the existing market because you know if you can if they could offer essentially a cut price m5 like if they can get the ct what's the big one ct5 if they get the ct5 here at say i don't know 150 160 maybe and then um the ct4 at 120 130 and i undercut the germans by a bit that's as far as i know i haven't driven the product myself but by all accounts it's very impressive product and Mm. yeah Yeah, good things well that's the thing you're not going to sell thousands but if they can make a business case on 100, 150 cars a year or something, then, you know, why not? Well, everyone right, said, drive Corvettes exciting as well, isn't it? Yes. Exactly right. Yeah, I mean, it, they've shown that you don't really have to start big to make a successful business. And, you know, Camaro was kind of a bit like that. They were never going to be able to replicate the success of, of Mustang because, of course, they'd had such a huge head start. Um, the pricing was very different. But, but nonetheless, you see a few Camaros on the road now. They've... They, they, they're proving a, a quite a new and different business model. And I'm, I'm pleased to see that. Well done to yeah, them. Yeah. And the, the Camaro, as much as anything, has paid for itself in establishing their bona fides in re-engineering these cars mm. to right-hand drive because that was an excellent job that they've done there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, GM, the Camaro program has been a bit tricky. They've they spent a lot on it and sales have been a bit sad, especially for the ZL1. There are a lot of ZL1 still around if you want one. And go and buy one because it's an awesome car. Um, it is. Uh, but like Andy says, like the fact that it's now proof of concept, GMSV probably would have never happened had they not had that had those runs on the board of, hey, we can do OEM conversions. Um, one interesting thing that I think that's, Interesting. It actually changes the business model, I believe. Last I heard, uh, it actually changes the business model quite a lot for HSV. So, with the Camaro programs and with the Silverado, um, HSV or you know the Walkinshaw Group essentially took on the role of car um, car company. Like previously, it had just done its work and invoiced Holden, so it didn't have the liabilities of holding stock and marketing and all that sort of stuff. And I believe, don't quote me, but I believe that with this transition, that responsibility goes back to GM. So they'll be able to run a much they'll be on a they'll be able to run a lot much leaner operation because they won't have those costs that the need to have all that stock on their books, et cetera, et cetera. That's you know, that's a drop in the ocean for the GM world at large. And hopefully it means they can sharpen the pricing a little bit more because they're not holding that liability. That's very interesting. I didn't know that, and that, but it does make a lot of sense. I mean, it's like many businesses making the transition to virtual businesses where they, they only get the stock in once it's been sold. And it's kind of that, that sort of model, which, as you say, reduces your overheads, it's kind of brings in a little bit of the old Japanese just-in-time kind of thing. And if you can, get, if you can master that kind of scheduling and, and the, the art of that, then 
I would say that that could absolutely be the future of, of motoring retail. Definitely. The other thing was, I think, um, you know, I believe again, I believe that they were part of the pricing problem was they were paying full price for the cars. They were essentially a customer. They were buying the cars out of the US at, a, at full price. Right. So they're already on the back foot there. So because you've then got to add everything on top of that. So hopefully again, now that GM's name is above the GM's name is above the door, you go back to that more traditional, you know, to more traditional model of, you know, they're all GM's cars. So you'll be getting them at fleet prices or bulk prices. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to see pricing come down on the Silverado and yeah, a Corvette won't be too far out of, you know, the Corvette's the big unknown, is it? It could be anywhere between like a hundred and two hundred thousand dollars at the moment. I does anyone really know? No, Absolutely no. not. And I'm not going to be able to quote you on that, slash not quote Scott Newman on it. Right. <laughs> um, also begs another question, which is, I don't believe there's an awful lot of patriotism left in the new car market. Obviously, you look at our brands like Street Machine and Unique Cars, and, and there will always be a, a rusted on, in every sense of the word, Aussie car fan. But... I don't think that matters so much in the new car market anymore. So the question is, will anyone care that there's the letters GM in special vehicles now? Will they look at, obviously they're going to look at this transition from um, Holden leaving and go, well, I think everyone looks at General Motors as the bad guy there. Is that going to affect anyone? Do they, are they going to turn their backs on the brand now that is so linked in name specifically to General Motors? I don't think so. It's it's an interesting one uh i I think a few people are are disillusioned with uh general motors um but that rot set in a little while ago yeah um so i don't think we're going to see something drastically different in in the meantime um i think that um, if you want a corvette you want a corvette don't you yeah i think that perhaps if gmsv were entering and intending to sell um you know, Blazers and their other sedans, which I can't remember the name of. But, you know, if they're in the mass market thing, I think maybe it would because there is, a, you know, there is a somewhat of a groundswell of negativity towards the brand. But if you're talking sort of niche high-end products, like, you know, say they bring in Cadillac, is anyone not going to buy a Cadillac if they want a Cadillac just because GM has done what it's done? You know, is, are people going to turn their nose up at Corvette because, you know, some it burnt some dealers. I don't really see that in the market they're going to be playing. It certainly hasn't seemed to hurt Silverado sales. You know, they've been pretty good. So um, I don't really see why it's going to affect it in the market they're playing in, but maybe I'm wrong. The only I don't thing, know. No, no, the only thing, I think you're right. I mean, I was playing a bit of devil's advocate on that one, but the, the one that definitely won't happen again for many decades is that Ford versus someone rivalry. I don't think, anyone's ever going to see General Motors as a rival for Ford. And I don't no. think you're going to get that sort of playful driveway banter anymore, where uh, um, I think, weirdly, the only time you're ever going to see that really in this segment is with the two brands, um, GMSV, own themselves. I mean, you, if you want to you rival a Ram, you get a Silverado, and they both come from the same place. So it's kind of, that's a weird one as well. But I don't think we'll ever see that playful rivalry between, you know, the Blue Oval and something ever again. So the Ram no, thing, the Ram thing's interesting because that's the model they're going to now. Like so, so Atico handles all the importation of those cars, and literally, you know, Walkinshaw just does the conversions and sends them a bill. So that's essentially what they're going to do with GM now. Um, but what was I going to say? It's interesting that HSV always saw itself 
as a competitor for AMG and M and stuff like that, you know, all through the day, you know, we always compared the cars to Fords and FPVs because that's what they should have been compared to. But, you know, they saw themselves as a premium manufacturer. So it's ironically, they're kind of playing in the space that they always wanted to play in, like, you know, Corvette and maybe Cadillacs and higher end vehicles. So. What a weird serendipitous point we find ourselves in and even the greatest motor journalists couldn't have picked it. And that makes me happy in some way. <laughs> um, Scott, at the end of last week's episode, you introduced an, a great idea and it's been, it's been, it's given us a whole seven days to think about this concept of yours. And it's to do with automotive Mount Rushmore. Do yes. go on. So I had this idea, you know, a little while ago and I can't remember why or how or whatever. Um, but so obviously there's four, Mount Rushmore is a tourist attraction, a mountain in the US, and it's got the faces of the four greatest US presidents on it. So, I, you know, it'd be five if Donald Trump gets his way and adds his bonds <laughs> to it, but um, I can't see that happening. Um, so it got me thinking, and I, I'd like to do this for lots of countries, but obviously we're in Australia and we've got lots of Australian car fans, so why not start with Australia? So what would be... If you're going to make a Mount Rushmore for Aussie cars, what would be the four most important, pivotal cars from our, you know, car manufacturing history? This is such a cool concept. I love it. Um, <laughs> and while we're, while we're mentioning Trump, I mean, he wouldn't want to be part of Mount Rushmore. He'd like his entire own mountain. Um, yeah, Mount so, Trumpmore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that would be a hideous thing to, to Covered behold. in fake diamonds and painted orange. So... This is such a nice idea. Now, we want to clarify some rules around this. So your, your idea was it had to be in Australian cars. And I love the idea. Perhaps one, you know, every now and then we'll revisit and we'll say, what would Germany's Mount Rushmore be? And what would Britain and Italy? Uh, there's at least four good games in it after this one. But we're going we're gonna to do the, um, the, the premiere, the, uh, the, the very first will be Australian cars. They have to be Australian. Yes, um, correct. Okay, Australian made. Yeah, and, but, uh, yeah, and by Australian, I mean not just you know not just Australian made because you know they made Beatles in Australia and they made, you know, Nissan Skylines in Australia and stuff like that. I think you know the Australian built and developed and designed. You know, so yes. you can put other things okay. in there like Leyland P seventy six and stuff. But you know, the fact okay. just, just because it was built here, the you know the Model T was built here. I think so, but you can't vote for that. So. All right, and there have to be four, obviously. That's what we're being clear Correct. on. Correct. The, the, the presidents. All right, well, who, I think, Scott, I think you're welcome to kick this one off. I'm okay, I'll start. For, unless you want to go first, Andy? Um, no, I'm, I'm slightly intrigued to hear, you know, this is your concept, Scott. So okay. you've obviously got some very solid ideas on here. Well, I wouldn't I'm say that. A, a, a that suggests I've actually <laughs> thought about it in detail, but... Uh, I think first one has to be, I've been quite uh, diplomatic here and split it up two Fords, two Holdens. Um, the first one is 48215. So, you know, the first Aussie, first Aussie Holden, I think, you know. Other, you know, it's, it's, it's successes were probably better. You know, we went into the uh, FJ and, the, and stuff like that. But I think you have to have a place for, you know, it's George Washington really, isn't it? It's the first. It's... Yep. Um, it mobilised Australia. It gave Australia a car of its own. Um, so that would be one such um, one such my, my first position. Uh, my second Holden. I won't go in chronological order. I'll go. 
I think VE Commodore because I think mm. uh, that was the high point maybe of Australia's car making industry. Like, you know, it's the billion dollar baby. It wasn't the most successful Commodore. You know, I didn't sell in the biggest numbers or anything like that, but I think it was probably the best car it ever made on a global standard. You know, when it came out in 2006, it's ride and handling balance. You know, you can talk about quality and build quality and all that, but you know, I think it's ride and handling was equal to anything overseas in that sort of mid-market sedan. Um, so I think, and obviously, you know, we all love those cars, SSVs and everything. So, is there is there an argument to say that the VE Commodore is the car that killed Holden, though? That suddenly all the eggs went into the basket of a large sedan when they yeah. should have been going somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, you know, should uh, I suppose? I mean, that's a, almost a bigger conversation, but I think you're right. They may be overcapitalized, but when the decisions were made in say 1998 or 1999 to sign off that billion dollar development. I mean, the VT was selling, you know, they sold 100,000 cars, I think, that, that year. So, you're right. I mean, the argument was, could anyone have, did anyone at the time say, hang on a minute, we're not going to be selling these in 20 years' time. Could anyone have the foresight to actually warn them and say, don't spend this money, or all that money, on one thing? Um, you know, I don't know whether anyone um, could have said otherwise the bmw were plowing money into the x5 when did the when did the territory come out that was a little bit later wasn't it yeah well i mean mm. it's interesting that i think i think you're right in a sense but what killed the what killed holden was gm politics you know the idea was that the ve would be built on the global gm rear drive platform would have a strong you know reels did a story recently about all the spin-offs that were going to come an el camino and a coupe uh, you know gto and an el camino and a monaro and a tirana and all that sort of thing had that been leveraged properly you know the bob lutz plan of using holden as a center of rear drive excellence it probably would have worked because you would have had sufficient scale it would have exported to you know the, the middle east export program was a good earner you know, they stuffed up the export program to the US by ignoring the car. And, you know, there's a hardcore enthusiast group in the US that loves Chevy SSs and Pontiac G8s, but they just didn't sell enough yeah. of them. Um, so I think you're right. But it's just, you know, GM, G, you know, who killed the electric car and who killed the VE Commodore? It was kind of like GM did. So, yeah. um, but funnily enough, you should, you've segued neatly into my next one, the Ford Territory. Ah. Uh, which may be a slightly off, you know, slightly left field choice, but again, kind of for the same reasons as VA Commodore, it showed that it showed that the Aussie car industry could be forward thinking. You know, two thousand and three, two thousand and four, SUVs weren't necessarily still thick on the ground, yet Ford had the presence of mind to make it and make a good one, a car that drove properly, um, was practical, was clever in its execution. Um, you know, it was kind of a cut price X5. It handled well, it went well. They made some silly decisions, like they had the opportunity to make a diesel one, I think in 2006 or 2007, but they made a turbo one instead. So <laughs> they didn't quite read the market on that one. But again, you know, did they, did anyone see that coming? Um, yeah, I know, I know quite a few sort of uh, rusted on old journalists who you, you'd think would love all the old stuff and they will <laughs> identify the uh, territory as the, only world-class car that Australia ever produced. Yeah, okay, yeah. I, I mean, I, I certainly think it was 
when we lost local manufacturing, I think the territory was the saddest loss. That was that was the thing. Everyone really now is starting to realise how how what a loss it was. So for me, that was the saddest thing about you know on a global perspective. You can argue, yeah, VEVF. I think they probably were the best cars in terms of sort of drivers, but the territory was something that was doing something you could still appreciate and enjoy on a global perspective today. If only the situation had been handled a bit better, like you say, that turbo instead of diesel is, uh, yeah. Yeah, Never I mean, ter- ter- territory was not just excellent, it was relevant, I think, as we were saying. Like, it's, you know, it's a car that, yeah. it wasn't that a car that nobody wanted, people wanted them, they were, they were good cars. Um, and obviously mm. it suffered at the end from lack of, development funds as well but when it came out i mean it won wheels car of the year 2004 um and everybody raved about it and i think we've you know we've just caused um my final one i'm torn the obvious choice here is the phase three gtho you know the, the 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 grandest and the most revered muscle car australia has ever made in a long history of revered and excellent muscle cars um but then I do, I wonder, should it be the XRGT? Because that was Australia's first muscle car. And without that, we wouldn't have had anything after. So I'm still torn on that one. I think the GTHO is the, you know, it's the most powerful and might not have been the best, but it was, it's, you know, it's the hero to the population at large. But then do you go, if you're going significant, do you go the first muscle car? Because everything, Holden and Ford, basically stemmed from that car. Because, you know. Well, you, you rode him on recently, didn't you, in a GTHO? You didn't drive it, did you? Uh, I did actually drive it. Yep. <laughs> did you? Yes, you I did. Absolute scumbag. Yeah. And not only did you drive it, you had a very special um, passenger, or you been you had a very special chauffeur, didn't you? Yeah. So John Bow drove me around in it for a Witch Car TV segment. You can find that on uh, our YouTube or the Witch Car website. Um, Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> He's like Steve Soper, but better. <laughs> I've never heard of him. <laughs> uh, yeah, and um, you know, there you have to. There's, a, there's obviously a degree of roast into glasses in it. Like they don't stop and they don't really handle. Still got a sensational engine, and they're, they're still properly fast cars. Um, but you know, the, there were heroes who hung on to them. There are certainly nicer cars to drive. And actually, I was talking to JB about this recently, and he thinks that the XRs and the XTs with the smaller engines were actually nicer cars to drive. They weren't such brutes. They weren't as fast, but they were yeah, a sweeter car to drive. Um, mm. But, you know, the GTHO has its legendary, and that's the wheel story with Mill Nichols and the, the dominance of Bathurst um, has rightly given them hero status. So, yeah, yeah. so what do you think, chaps? There's my four. It's an interesting four. I like it. I do too. Um, shall I, shall I present my four? Please, um, please. I originally came up with, with four the cars. Holden Piazza. Ah, yeah. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> that I thought was, uh, an absolute definitive list. Um, obviously I had the, uh, the effects of 48 mm-hmm. in as, uh, George Washington. I don't know who, uh, which ones, uh, fulfilled the Jefferson, Lincoln and Roosevelt roles, but, Beyond that, I had the, uh, yep, the GTHO Phase 3, the Tirana A9X. Yeah, Ooh. of course. And um, the Valiant Charger E49. Oh, really? Um, You've really gone a, a muscle car? Uh, yeah, I, I, went, I, went, I went full muscle. Then I looked at that and thought, no, that's entirely predictable. So I, I, I binned them all. Um, oh, I, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> you knocked down the mountain. 
I'm going with something entirely subjective. I'm not making this uh, the best cars in any way, shape or form, but it's going to be a GTS RW1 because it was the fastest and ultimate. Yep, that we is have... arguably one of the very best as well. Come on. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yep. I'm having a VL Turbo in there. Yes. Because it makes good noises. Um, an XR6 <laughs> Turbo. Yeah, good one. Because <laughs> they were green. And um, an AU4 because I want to see like um, a 60 metre high um, waterfall grill. <laughs> the even the 48 215 even through yeah, yeah been been everything off and uh you know there was there were some others there was a t gemini diesel that was yep. in for a shout and uh the vc commodore with the starfire 4 i was uh mulling oh, over those as well maybe, maybe, maybe they could stick out, stick out the rear end of the mountain right? yeah <laughs> the, the cavalcade, cavalcade of dungers <laughs> could you uh <laughs> no no magnus in there what was the oh. what was the, the uh, mid eighties Magna TJ Byron would know this. Um, can't oh remember. yeah, you could have that. Yeah, you know, very, yep. actually a very actually a very important car that mid eighties Magna. It changed everything. It it gave a gave people a car that was big enough, but more economical than um. You know, it's an amazing story behind that car. It came from sort of came from Japan, but they actually sawed them all in half and widened them. Yeah, you know, yeah, not every car, but during genre, development, didn't it? Um, to yeah. give it just enough space. Um, and it, unfortunately, the Astron engines um, needed a rebuild every 14 kilometres. But, uh, you know, oh well, you can't have everything. <laughs> yeah, they actually smoked from the factory. They did. They? they did. I've <laughs> never, ever seen a Magna of that, that generation not smoking. It's unbelievable. <laughs> right. Full pack a day. <laughs> what about Daniel you, Daniel? San. What are you Daniel San, yes. I'm never playing this game ever again because you've picked all of mine pretty much already. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I can show you, I can bloody show you the list. Of that just means so, you're, you're very wise and clever. No, it just means I'm predictable. I don't want to be that. No one does today. Or I it just up means... Up on the spot. Um, okay, so I did go 48215. But I'm, I can perhaps give a little bit more justification around each of these. Uh, otherwise, we've run out of podcast stuff already, haven't we? Um, so... The four presidents are actually uh, divided into um, birth, growth, development, and pres preservation of the country. So each oh, of the oh, that's, so I picked a car that corresponds to those oh, particular that's fantastic. So the forty-eight two one five is birth, obviously, for obvious reasons. And uh, the other reason I picked that one is I was very lucky enough to drive one years ago when we did um, our wheels special at the Holden Proving Ground. Um, I did a little uh, a video with with a few highlight cars turned up and one of them was 48215 and it was terrible to drive <laughs> <laughs> uh, always meet your heroes <laughs> yeah exactly i have met many of them it's always disappointing yeah it's got one of those silly gearboxes which is on the on the column and it was i mean phenomenally slow like i didn't think you could ever sell a car that was that slow but it was charming and wonderful and and uh absolutely i think the fj was actually quite a big step forward in terms of dynamics and performance yeah. you know they, they did as you'd expect i mean if you're going to do things the first time you're going to get it better than the next time and um, the same with everything in life <laughs> snigger um so, <laughs> yeah anyway <laughs> um growth Andy, I said, was the AU Falcon. <laughs> hey, growth? What, like a like a tumor? <laughs> yes, growth <laughs> in the wrong direction. That's right. Yes, a sort of um, yeah. No, I dropped that one in there because I had to pick a car that was a bit of a bit of a hero, but a a fugly munter of a hero as well. Oh, I um, see. Okay. One of one of Andy's absolute favorites. A development. 
I picked the VL Turbo. Uh, because oh. this is a car, oh, I mean, one of the reasons that Australia has developed, uh, sorry, is that the nation of the United States has um, developed into the, uh, the country that it is, and Australia for that matter, is its multiculturalism. And the VL Turbo is the four-wheeled embodiment of multiculturalism. Australian car, Japanese engine, brilliant. So and Australia, Australian car Australian based car. on a German car. You know, it's essentially a, a you know a tweaked Opel. Exactly, um, brilliant. Yes. So, so yeah, but European got a bit of Asia. You know, it's the Paul Keating thing. Are we in Europe or are we in Asia? It's a, you know very clever. It's all and, and all the other good things. It was just a brilliant car. It looks and cool. it went. That is key. Now onto the final candidate, and this is. Preservation. Well, to me, there's only two cars that can really um, fulfil that uh, that duty, and that is the Bowell Nagari and the Brabham BT62. Because <laughs> they're all that's left. Exactly. It's the only <laughs> taking Australian car manufacturing forward. So, I mean, I want to say the Brabham BT62, but that's far too sensible an option. So I'm going to go for the really weird, and I cannot believe that Bowell is not a money laundering outfit because who the hell are they building and selling cars to to sustain a business like that but anyway we love them still don't we yeah well that's a good one imagine having to chip a bowl nagari into the face of a mountain (laughs) (laughs) well i guess the next question is where are we gonna where are we going to uh put our mount carmel Oh, well, obviously, Uluru. <laughs> oh, Daniel. He's, he's the politically sensitive answer. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, we wake up to sunrise and there's a huge AU falcon sticking out. Of there's, a, there's a waterfall oh. grill chiseled onto Uluru. Oh, my God. Oh, God. <laughs> the horror. Okay, all right. Wrong answer. What did you say? Uh, I don't know, but probably somewhere in Kosciuszko. They got plenty of mountains. Yeah, but you can't see them. They're all tucked away. Like you want to. Yeah, that's true. You want what about that nice, that nice sea cliff near um, Wollongong that you drive down that nice road? Oh yeah, around that bridge. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, you got that big coaly cliff above you, haven't you? It just or should it be like like one of the most? Australia's really good for really disappointing landmarks. You know, like all our <laughs> big things that aren't actually that big, and I. I went through Gundagai a lot of times looking for the dog, dog on the tucker box because I assumed it would be massive. <laughs> that big. And it is. It's the size of a post box. No wonder I could never bloody see it. I only found it by accident. I thought, well, that's disappointing. So I kind of feel like we should just, you know, find a really moderately sized hill somewhere in the middle of the Hume and just really badly chisel some wonky portraits of these cars onto the side well, of the hill. Well, that's a great idea. At least it would be finished before Mount Rushmore. I mean, they're still bloody doing that one. We've okay, really? done in a few couple months. It'll erode before they'll have to start again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, that was a that was a brilliant. Oh, what about what about um, Latrobe Valley? Just hack it into another. Just dig a coal mine. Oh and leave yeah. That in its place. There you go. Yeah, that's so very Australian. Something, ugly, something beautiful. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was a fabulous idea for a segment. Oh, I'm going to definitely, we're going to roll this out again. Probably, well, it depends how much we're going to talk about, it, really. We've always got plenty to talk about. Gentlemen, Scott Newman, Andy Enright, thank you so much. It's been fun. Um, let's do this again very soon in fabulous style. In the meantime, you can get all of your motoring content from whichcar.com.au, the socials, Facebook, bloody Twitter, and all that stuff. We do it all. I think it's at 
which car something or other you can find it you're all you're all grown-ups and if you're not great we've got a diverse audience until <laughs> next time my name is daniel gardner thanks for listening goodbye visit uluru whilst you still can <laughs>